The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I wanted to start this afternoon with a a little bit of a you know, reflection, suggestions for things you might notice, things you might be able to notice in your practice. You might think of these as instructions, but at the same time, the way that uh, Saira Utejaniya teaches, he tends to describe a lot of things we might notice and experience and encourages us to notice things that we might not habitually recognize or easily recognize and so kind of expanding what we may um, become aware of. And yet so many times he said, what I say is not something to do. It's just a description of things you might notice. And so the act of describing, the act of conveying this information may make it more possible for you to see things that you hadn't necessarily seen or noticed or see things from a perspective that you hadn't had. And so that's a caveat, I say here, in offering these as instructions. They're not really instructions. They're more descriptions of things you might notice. And from time to time, there may be a suggestion, you know, if there is something difficult happening, you could try this or try this. But basically, the, the basic instructions that I offered this morning, that's the practice, the relax, light touch of effort, notice that you're aware, what you're aware of, and check the relationship, the attitude from time to time. That's the basic practice. And then there's so much that can be known within that simple practice. And sometimes what happens when we begin to look at certain aspects of our experience, we get overwhelmed or we get reactive to what we're experiencing. And in that case, the simplicity of am I aware, what am I knowing, what's my relationship, may not be quite strong enough to meet the experience. And in that case, there are suggestions at times of things to do that may help to counter the mind kind of getting sucked into the quicksand of a reactive pattern. So um, the thing I'd like to explore this afternoon with you is as we turn our attention to just this experience of being human, we start to recognize or see or we can start to see that there's basically, you know, there's, there's stuff happening in the body. You know, there's all the, six, the, the five sense doors of the body, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. And there's stuff happening in our mind. So there's basically physical processes at work and mental processes at work. More often than we might realize these two can get mixed up. It seems like it would be an obvious thing to be able to distinguish what's body and what's mind, but not necessarily. And so I'd like to explore that with you a little bit this afternoon, recognizing, beginning to get familiar with what is experience of the body 
and what is experience in the mind. Partly they're easy to get mixed up because they're so tightly entwined that when we experience something in the body very often, very quickly there, well, first of all, we experience a contact with the body and already the mind is involved just in the knowing of it. And so there's the, the contact and then there's the, uh, the knowing of it. So already there's body and mind together. And then there's the physical experience perhaps and a, re- a relationship to it this that we've been talking about this this morning, recognizing the relationship to experience. The relationship is a mental experience, is a mental uh, activity. So there may be uh, a pleasant bodily sensation and a liking of it. There may be an unpleasant bodily sensation and a not liking of it. And sometimes these, these get a little intertwined, especially I find in the realm of discomfort, Um, the discomfort and the reaction to it can often feel so close that it's hard to kind of tease them apart. And then there's the aspect of um, distinction between body and mind that so not only does every experience come with there's the experience and then the knowing of it with every experience, there's some other processes going on too. There's the experience of some um, contact of sight, of sound, of smell, or taste, or touch. And there's um, a perception about it. There's a recognition of what it is. So we see something and we know it's a person. We see something, we know it's a wall or a chair. So the seeing is one thing and the recognizing what it is is something happening in our minds. This is another easy way that things get conflated because we think we see chair, but we see form and color and the mind knows it as chair. So that's another way. That's a, that's a very tight connection between body and mind right there. And then there's the, the function of feeling in the mind. Um, we, we sometimes might think that the feeling side of things, so we have a contact of... Uh, sight and it's a pleasant sight or a sound and it's an unpleasant sound and we may think that the um, quality of pleasant or unpleasant is in the sound or the sight itself but actually that feeling is also something the mind is doing and uh, I've I've done a little bit of um, looking into this in terms of the brain as well, and neuroscience agrees with this, that the, uh, the feeling of our experience is constructed in the brainstem. So with a particular area in the brainstem, if that area is damaged, you don't feel pleasant or unpleasant. So the, uh, the, the experience of whether something is pleasant or unpleasant is also created by the mind. And as we were talking about this morning, is also very influenced by our conditioning. Um, when I was in Burma, there were a lot of different food smells that I was unfamiliar with, some of which I felt were unpleasant. 
because I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with them, and they they were just they were unfamiliar, and they didn't uh, they didn't have that comfort smell to me that a food aroma would have, and so I interpreted them as unpleasant. But I'm fairly sure that those very same food smells would have been experienced as pleasant by the Burmese. So the experience of whether we have something is pleasant or unpleasant is not inherent in the experience itself, but is constructed not only just based on this moment in our minds, but also based on a lot of our conditioning. So there's so many ways that body and mind are interrelated and interconnected. So in an exploration of this, in our practice, it can be interesting to just begin to check in. What is body? What is the experience of body? And what is the experience of mind? So some, some kind of simple ways to begin to, to, to check into this, to begin to recognize the functioning of, or distinction between body and mind. And again, this isn't something so much to try to do, um, but just this description that may spark a curiosity that may support your seeing your experience in a different way. And so uh, the bodily experiences in, in a physical touch sense are... What we actually experience in our body is sensations something like hardness or softness or vibration, pulsing, tingling, movement, or heat or coolness, or moisture or dryness. So this is what our sense sphere, our skin, is designed to recognize what contacts our skin is not shawl, but softness, smoothness, So this is an area to begin to to notice. If in your experience of noticing your physical body, for instance, you might think, oh, I'm feeling my elbow or I'm feeling my shoulder. Well, you're actually feeling sensations in the location of your elbow or your shoulder. Elbow, shoulder are concepts. And so what are the actual, we can begin to be curious, what's the actual experience that's happening in that area? Tightness, tension, pulling, pressure, heat, coolness. What's the actual physical part of the experience? And then there's the mind that, first of all, knows that experience. That's a mental experience. There's a pleasant, unpleasant or neutral quality to that feeling. Maybe unpleasant if it's a painful experience. There's uh, the perception of the area being the shoulder. Maybe a perception of pain. There's, there's the concept of shoulder, the concept of pain. And so there's these two things going on. And then there may be on top of that, liking or not liking 
frustration, resistance, aversion, confusion in relationship to that experience. So many, many layers of physical and mental experience happening. So in the realm of our physical senses, there are those bare kind of... um, the, The language of our touch sense is the realm of vibration, pulsing, tingling, hardness, softness, tension, pulling, heat, coolness, moisture, dryness. That's what our body experiences. And then sight, the realm of sight is form and color. If we're seeing or recognizing people, chairs, carpet, there's the, there's the sight of the color and form, and then it's the mind that creates the understanding of what is seen. So... Even look. This is this is a very challenging area I find uh, in, to begin to tease them apart. But just knowing and understanding, a few times I've seen opening my eyes just form and color and not actually having all the concepts, and then the concepts begin to uh, come into place and seeing oh person, wall, chair. in the experience. Uh, and then again, of course, so there's the, the sight, there's the, um, that's the physical part of it, the seeing of the form and color. Then there's the concept that's mental. There's a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality to that experience that's mental. There's, again, potentially reactivity to what, we, what we've seen. Uh, liking certain things that we see or not liking certain things, frustration or anger or confusion related to what we see. So again, this distinction between just the, the very simple experience of what happens at the eye and then what happens in our minds around that experience. Sound. The bare experience of sound is what we, we could say pitch and tone. So there's that that strikes the ear. And then, again, there's the concept, the recognition, the perception of what the sound is. Car. The sound is just the vibration and the tone and the idea, squeal, the idea of of that is in the mind. The car, the sound of the train. For, for myself, this kind of recognition of the difference between the um, actual physical experience and the concept is somewhat easier to, to distinguish in sound than it is in sight. Um, so if you're in meditation, you might recognize this, for instance. You're sitting there and you hear a sound. You know, there's the sound of the train or the sound of a car. And... You're sitting there with your eyes closed. You may experience, so there's the hearing, and there's just that vibration in the ear. That's the hearing. And then the mind may do something with that. You may hear your mind uh, state, train. You're sitting there meditating. There's the sound, and then your mind says, train, (laughs) or car, or bird, 
This is the mind doing its job of recognition. It's, it's nearly automatic that this process happens. This is not something we're trying to stop. Often when um, people start to meditate and the, the normal, ordinary kind of thinking begins to settle, they start to see these kinds of thoughts. And perception is often experienced as a little you know, blip of a thought like that. A thought like a word as if we're saying the word in our mind, train or car or bird. Or it might appear as an image. While you're, you're sitting there meditating, you uh, hear the sound of the train and you see a picture of a train in your mind. Again, that's a form of perception. The mind is recognizing what's being experienced. But sometimes people begin to see this kind of thought, this subtler kind of thought, and and think that they're thinking, that they're thinking, but actually it's just the way the mind recognizes things. So this isn't something we can necessarily stop. And we're not trying to stop it, but we are trying to recognize, oh, this process of recognition, that is something happening in the mind. And then... Again, with sound, with all of our sense doors, and this, I'll stop with the, the hearing and we'll move on. Um, there's the, the sound, the vibration at the ear door. There's the recognition of what it is. And then there may be uh, some reaction. Oh, we like trains. So it's pleasant. Or we um, don't like motorcycles, so we have some aversion. We, we have anger, and maybe thoughts follow on from that. It's like, don't they know we're meditating here? Why do, they, why do they, you know, rev their engine right outside the door? So the mind creates thoughts following a reaction. Again, mental activity. So the, uh, the thing, one of the things we can begin to see in distinguishing this body and mind is that much of our reactivity is, is actually based more, as I, I think I said this morning, it's based more on our ideas rather than on the direct experience. And so there's the sound of the train or the sound of the motorcycle. Maybe it's a little bit loud and maybe there's a little bit of unpleasantness there, but largely the reactivity, if there's reactivity around a motorcycle, for instance, would be Uh, related to the concept of somebody riding a motorcycle and doing something rather than the actual experience of hearing. So we can start to see this. This is a very powerful pointing in how our minds do what they do. The suffering that's created in our experience, the struggle, the dissatisfaction, happens usually because we're relating to experience through concept rather than through what's actually happening. And so if we can begin to be curious about what is actually happening, you know, sometimes, sometimes just simply that, we find ourselves reactive to something. Like the example of the rain this morning. It's like... I don't like to walk in the rain. And yet, when actually looking at, okay, well, what is here? Okay, there's discomfort. What is the discomfort? Well, there's a little bit of wetness. There's a little bit of coolness. How uncomfortable is it really? 
mostly the reactivity to the idea of I don't like to walk in the rain rather than the actual experience. So the, the, the beginning to tease apart body and mind and to begin to recognize what's actually happening in our physical sense realm begins to give us a, a doorway into recognizing the whole host of activities that our mind gets up to and the way the body and mind condition each other. When there's a bodily experience, a sight, it doesn't just stop with sight. The mind gets involved with recognizing it, with feeling it, with thinking about it, with having an emotion or relationship to it. So the, there's the sight and then there's the, so the, there's the sight which is the physical and that conditions a whole host of mental uh, follow-on. And likewise from our minds, when our minds are doing something, if, if there's something that happens, um, we experience anger, for instance. Anger is a mental phenomenon and that emotion in turn feeds back to impact the body. So this cause and effect, things in the body impact and influence things in the mind. Things in the mind feed back and influence things in the body. So when a strong emotion arises, often there's a lot of physical sensation, particularly in the area of the chest. And so again, beginning to recognize what part of this experience is mental. Anger, that's mental. Ooh, pressure, heat in the body, that's physical. So just an interest to explore body and mind. As we touch into this distinction, uh, sometimes one of, the, one of the key ways that we notice the distinction between body and mind is in the realm of our reactivity. If there is reactivity, if there's something unpleasant happens and we don't like it, we want to get rid of it, or something pleasant happens and we want to hold on to it, there's, there is the uh, what's happening and our mental reaction to it. And often this is the place or the terrain in which our suffering comes up. This is where we struggle. And uh, a lot of our practice can be in the realm of getting familiar with these reactions. Not to try to push them away or stop them, but again, to get, be curious about them. So we begin to explore, okay, here's the arising of reactivity. How does it impact this being to have that emotion arise? How does it impact the body? What kinds of thoughts does it think? What other emotions get connected to it? So we see that it's not just a standalone event, but it's a dynamic uh, happening, conditioning other experiences in our minds and bodies. So we can begin to be curious, investigate a little bit our reactivity. This investigation is a little bit of a doing. It's, it's uh, perhaps, as you notice a strong reactivity, sometimes a strong uh, emotion arising can be a little bit hard to just simply say, oh, anger's happening, okay. Oh, anger, anger. Sometimes we can do that. 
But at other times, it's a little bit stronger and using some tools, like uh, being curious about it. If we can get curious about the experience, the human experience of reactivity, uh, it can help us to stay present for the experience. And so, oh, there's anger. And if we f- it feels strong or we feel like we're just pulled towards the anger, maybe a question, oh, how is the body right now? Okay, feeling into that. How is the body? What else is happening right now? Or what's my relationship to that anger? Just some simple things to help the mind be a little bit curious about the experience of anger instead of just following it and buying into it. Or another question that can be interesting to explore, what purpose is this reactivity serving? What beliefs are happening around this reactivity? So a few questions, just dropping in these questions. And again, not to try to think about them or figure out the answer. But you drop in these questions and then just keep exploring what's obvious. As we drop in these questions of investigation, it can, it doesn't always, but it can kind of attune the mind to naturally be curious about exploring that question. And so if you are noticing anger and you drop in the question, how does it make the body feel? You don't have to do anything in that moment, but maybe very naturally the attention begins to notice, oh, pressure in the heart, ooh, tightness in the hands. So again, the, the use of questions as a way to investigate is a, uh, not a thinking about, but more of an encouragement to be with the experience in new ways. And sometimes uh, when there is the recognition of reactivity, um, the reactivity sometimes can be stronger than our ability to be present for it. And in that case, it may be useful to back off of trying to be directly investigating or present for that experience. A couple of tools I found helpful in that case when something challenging happens and it's a little bit overwhelming. The first is simply to broaden the container. Recognize, and this is a, this is a truth, so it's not, it's not um, uh, going counter to what's already here. Uh, so you, uh, you broaden the container and it's like, okay, there's this reaction happening. Strong reactions tend to kind of magnetize the mind in some ways. It's like when there's some reactivity, it's like the mind gets locked on that and it becomes so big in our minds. But sometimes we can step back and recognize, okay, yep, there's this reactivity happening and there's thousands of other things happening in the present moment. What are those, uh, some of those other things? So what else is happening here? Okay, there's the anger and then there's pressure of my hips against the chair and then there's sound and there's vibration in the body. Oh, and there's the anger and then there's sight and then there's a thought and there's the anger again. So it's not that you're trying to not see the anger but you're consciously broadening the container of experience letting yourself consciously recognize there's many things going on besides that reactivity. 
So that's one tool that can be helpful when uh, a reactivity is overwhelming or strong. Broaden the container. Another tool that can be helpful is to change the channel, (laughs) basically. Um, Not to try to repress the reactivity, but basically let your attention go fully into something else. So this is a use of directing the attention. This is when using directed attention can be really helpful. If the attention is kind of pulled in one area to a kind of reactivity and it feels like in that you get sucked into the quicksand of it, then it might be useful to just simply turn your attention to open your eyes and notice seeing is happening or Turn your attention to hearing. And anytime you feel yourself pulled back to that reactivity, just come back like it's a primary object. You're, you're just letting the other thing be to the side and you're connecting to, okay, there's, there's seeing happening or there's hearing happening or maybe um, the experience of hands. Hands can be a pretty strong sensation sometimes, so let your attention go into your hands. What I often don't suggest you turn your attention to when there's a strong reactivity happening is the breath. It, if you have a very uh, stable experience or stable relationship with the breath, you, you, you may be able to use it. But often when there's strong reactivity, there's a lot of sensation in this area where the breath is felt. And if we turn our attention to anywhere in this area, it almost just reminds us again of that reactivity. And so if there's strong experience in the area of the torso, I recommend finding some experience, some way or a change of the channel that's outside of this core area of the body. I often will suggest hearing for people if that's something you can connect with or hands or contact of your hips against the chair or your back against the chair, just something grounding, feet on the ground, something relatively neutral to help the, the mind kind of support the mind letting go of that reactivity. When I do this, I consciously um, let my mind re- realize and, and connect and, and know that that power or that reactivity is a potent force in the mind. And then in some ways it's asking for attention you know, it's, it's strong, it's, it's, it's asking for attention and sometimes I'll just say, I'll bow to it, I'll say, I see you, I see you and I see you're asking for attention but my mindfulness isn't strong enough right now. So you can stay in the room with me, I bow to you, but right now I'm going to put my attention on my feet. So I, like, for a whole couple of years around working with anger, that was what I did. Because the anger was so strong, I couldn't really be mindful for it. But I could bow to it and then just turn aside. And that very simple movement was really a powerful way to uh, work with that pattern. So it's not a repression when you change the channel. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a more respect that it's, it's like you're respecting the power of that reactivity and that it, uh, it's, it's like stronger than you have the capacity for right now. So those are a few uh, reflections about some things you may notice in your experience.
So we'll do a, a sitting now, but it'll be, it'll be about half an hour. So if you want to stand up for a moment before sitting for half an hour, that's fine. Um, just take about a 30-second stretch break. <laughs> 